So we, um, I want to just remind you of the men's study. Guys, it's not too late to get involved. And then our small groups are going to kick off next week, and we're going to be doing something called Circle Up. The idea is you can worship in a crowd, you can worship in rows, but you cannot fellowship. You can't get to know people. You can't have your hearts really connected together in rows. You need to do that in circles. So we're all going to study this, uh, this study for the next month, starting next week, and it's going to be about how we can get to know each other, how we can have meaningful relationships within the church, within the body of Christ. Now, I, uh, I found a quote this week from our men's study, and if you were at our men's study and you, haven't, and you don't recognize this quote, it means you have not done your homework yet, and you need to do your homework before Wednesday night. But here's what it says. It says this, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers, right? Ladies, that, just, that, that moves you to buy a ticket to the movie about the guy wanting a Volvo? No. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put on a record. This tells you how long ago this was written. So just Spotify or whatever you would put on, some music. Don't, don't get caught up on that. You wouldn't go home and listen to, to music and think about the story you'd just seen. The truth is you wouldn't remember that movie a week later, except you'd feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo, but we spend years actually living these stories and expect our lives to be meaningful. The truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make our lives meaningful either. Your lives are the sum total of the choices that you make. And at the end of this series, we've been talking about the enemies of the heart. You've got to make some choices if you want your heart to be healed. You can't do what you've always done and get a different result. You're going to have a damaged, um, sick heart. And so you've got to make some choices about getting healthy spiritually, emotionally. Now, last week I mentioned to you King Rehoboam. All right, let me, let me go through a real quick history lesson. The very first king of Israel was named Saul. The Israelites said, we want to be like the other nations. We don't like that you're our king, God. We want our own king. So he raised up Saul. Saul was rejected by God because he didn't follow God. And so then God went and found a man named David, who was the youngest of, of seven sons, eight sons. It depends on, on whether he, anyway, seven sons. And, and he was the youngest. He was out in his field. God makes him king. When David is done, and by the way, David is considered the greatest king who ever uh, was, was ahead the head of Israel. Every other king in the nation of Israel is compared to King David because he was the greatest. David's son was Solomon, so he was the third king of Israel, and then Rehoboam was Solomon's son, the fourth king of Israel. And I told you last week, the very first decision that Rehoboam made caused the Israelites to leave him. So, so he has this gathering, and he's trying, to, he's trying to establish his kingdom. The very first thing he does, they said, your dad was a tough taskmaster. We want you to, to make our, our jobs easier, so remove some of the slave um, things that you've been making us do. And, and so Rehoboam thought about it for a little bit and he comes back and he goes, if you think my dad was tough, you hadn't seen anything yet. If my dad did this to you, I'm going to do this. And he says, my little finger is stronger than my dad's thigh and I'm going to make it terrible for you lazy people who want less work to do. And, and the funny, not, not the funny thing is, but, but it, I guess it is ironic. He says, I'm so strong, I'm going to do this. And so 10 tribes, there's 12 tribes of Israel, 10 tribes go, See ya, you're no longer our king. And they went and started their own kingdom, right? He showed them how tough he was. They left. And so being a typical king, he goes back to Judah, his tribe, and Benjamin. And, and he says, hey, we're going to go to war because what any king would do is fight for his kingdom. So he goes and he, he gets 180,000 warriors. He's going to go fight and show these people just how strong he is. And a man of God shows up and says, don't you dare do it. What has happened I ordain, do not fight against the others. And, and for the only time that I've found in scripture, the only time in scripture that Rehoboam listened to God was this time, he didn't go to war. 
And then look what it says in 2 Chronicles eleven seventeen b b means the second part of the verse. I read this verse three times this week because I went, wait, did it just say that? And then I got my commentary. Did it just say that? Here's what it says. They walked in the way of David and Solomon. So David, the greatest king who followed after God with all his heart. They being Rehoboam and Judah followed after David and Solomon for how many years? I went, three years? Why three years? And the commentators think that maybe that's how long it took for him to get his kingdom established. But here's the real key. It's, it comes in 2 Chronicles 12, 14. He, Rehoboam, did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. There's the problem. So he started at first, yeah, okay, I'll follow in the footsteps of my granddad and my dad, but I'm not going to set my heart to follow, the God, to follow God. And so he did evil. And here's what's going to happen to you. If you do not set your heart to follow God, you will do evil as well. Jesus said, evil words come from your heart, evil thoughts, evil deeds come from your heart. You must set your heart to seek after God. And even Rehoboam's father, Solomon, said this in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So he didn't follow his dad's advice. He didn't set his heart to seek after the Lord. So he did evil things. The news for you today is you will do evil things if you don't set your heart to seek after the Lord. Now, when I got out of college, I moved to Dallas um, because I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I started working at this place in Dallas. And um, it was weird to me because I would be listening on the radio or I'd go, go on TV. And there were only like three channels at that time, maybe, maybe five. I don't know, remember. But I would be hearing things about highways and the highways you should avoid. And they would say things like the high five. To this day, I don't know where the high five is. Avoid the high five in Dallas because there's problems. I'm like, well, I don't know where that is. So I'm not going to worry about it. They talked about Central Expressway, which was 75 because where I grew up, everything had a number. If you say 75, it's called 75. Don't say avoid Central Expressway, but I figured out what that was because I needed to be on Central Expressway a lot, a lot because I was in downtown Dallas. Well, then one that really stuck in my mind that I thought was funny was called the Mixmaster. I thought, that's funny. Well, here's a picture of the Mixmaster. This is, this is actually, you Google, this is what comes up, the Mixmaster. This design came from the mind of Satan right? I mean, I mean, what engineer he was possessed, um, Satan spawn designed this. I don't know. Because if you've ever been there during rush hour, I'm not kidding. I've spent over an hour there during rush hour, but I've heard of people who've been there four five, six hours because some moron, I don't know what they did, but something happens and it gets all tangled up. And, and here's the, here's the good news. Everybody eventually gets out of the mix master. The bad news is you rarely have the same attitude when you come out that you had when you went in. Somewhere in there you lost your Jesus, right? Because of that moron who did whatever's keeping you from getting home. Some people have been there for hours and hours and hours. And so I want you to see this because, because this picture, and this is going to be the, the, the background for the rest of the, the slides that are coming up here. I want you to see this and remember this because this background, this hub in Dallas is kind of, it's kind of like your heart, See, everything that happens to you in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly goes through your heart, and you have to decide what is going to happen to it. If you do not seek, set your heart to seek the Lord, you're going to allow negative stuff to get stuck in your heart, and it won't stay in your heart. The bad thing is it comes out as mean things that are going to attack somebody else. You'll be like Rehoboam. You'll do evil things because you did not set your heart to seek the Lord. So these bad experiences that come into our lives damage our hearts, and then they come out in these things that, that um, hurt other people. We've been calling them monsters, these four things we've been talking about for six weeks. And, and here's, here's the real problem, because when you have anger, I'll talk about this in a second, when you have anger or greed or jealousy um, uh, or, or guilt in your life, 
you forget because of, the, because of the difference in time when something enters your heart and when it comes out, you forget who you were even mad at or you forget what you did to hurt somebody or you forget you don't make the connection because the distance is too far in between those two things. So we get mad. We don't know why or at whom. We get resentful towards certain categories of people, even though those people have done nothing to us personally. Maybe somebody who hurt us was one of those people and you just, you just blame everybody who's one of those people. We, we become jealous because of what other people have. We know, that, we know that that's childish and we don't know where it comes from and Jesus says it comes from your heart. See, none of these things make sense to us, but they come out in the way we talk and, and, and relate to other people. And if we don't deal with these things, it will lead us to self-destructive behaviors and relationship-destructive behaviors. Now, does anybody believe life is kind? Life, life is always kind. Life is always, life is always fair, Since it's not, we better learn how to guard our hearts, which is what Solomon said. If you don't guard your heart, you may say some things that reveal the damage in your heart. And I'm going to share mine. The first one is mine. So uh, I told y'all, y'all could ask Janie this. Um, The first five or six years of our marriage, the statement that I would make that caused her the most pain was, I'll not do that again. So like I would do something, maybe I thought it was kind or I don't know, she might criticize something I did. And, I, and, and because I had anger in my heart from years before, if Janie would say something to me or disrespect me in some way, I'd say, well, let me tell you something. I'll never do it again. And my words, I didn't know it at the time, but my words were designed to hurt her. And because of how Janie is, it was like a knife to her heart. And I think, she's sitting back there, I think like the last 22 years, I've only done it once or twice since then, but the first five or six years of our marriage, I would use this and it revealed my hard heart, my damaged heart, not hers. I'll not do that. Let me tell you something, I'll never do it again. And my words were designed to hurt because I was mad at my mama. Now, you might say something different. You may say, I'll never trust another man because they're all evil. (laughs) Sorry, suckers. Life'd be better if we didn't have them. You know, there are things now. Anyway, we won't even get into that. I'll never love again because love is the problem. I'll never open up my heart to anyone. I will put my heart in steel and I'll show them. I'll never get close to anybody and that'll show them. I don't need anyone. That is one of the clearest indications that your heart is damaged because God designed us for fellowship. You might say... She broke my heart never again because it's all women. She says, it's all men. He's all women. He hurt me. And because because he hurt me, I'll never trust anyone else again. And see, if, if you let your heart get to the point that you start saying those things or even thinking those things, it indicates that you have the damaged heart. Then people will say about you, man, that dude is hard hearted. Man, she's cold. She's like hugging a bucket of ice. Y'all have hugged people like that, hadn't you? Like a dead fish. See, here's the deal. Hurt people. We say this in Celebrate Recovery. Hurt people hurt other people. Now, we usually shorten it just to say hurt people hurt people, but I want you to get the other people. If you're hurt or if someone's hurting me, I need to step back and say, what is it that's gotten in their heart? That hub. What has come in that's caused them to strike out at me if, if I've not done something to hurt them? And see, carriers of these, these four monsters, they have a difficult time looking in the mirror. They've already done that. They know there's some ugly stuff in their life. And every time you remind them of their hurt, you're going to pay the consequences because of their damaged heart. 
but it doesn't have to be that way. I read this statement this week and it says, when our embarrassment level is exceeded by our desperation level, we are a candidate for God's grace. See, as long as you're worried about what everybody else thinks, you're not, you're not in a position to receive from God what he wants to give you. And, and years ago, I actually shared this in a sermon. I, I went back and, and was researching, looking through some of my sermons, and I found this, and I thought this was appropriate for today. People only change in three instances. People only make life change, three instances. First, when they hurt enough that they have to. When, when I go to the jail and I visit somebody who was picked up for drugs, they, they're no longer doing drugs because they don't have a choice. Or if someone is so sick that they have to make lifestyle changes or they're going to die, they hurt enough they have to make changes. But, but it seems to me if, if we know that, that we need to make some changes, it'd be wiser to do one of the other two things. The second time people change is when they receive enough that they're able to. You receive enough information, you figure this stuff out, and you say, oh, this is a good plan. I'm going to follow this plan. And the third reason is they, um, oh, sorry, I skipped one. They learn enough they're able to, and then the last one is receive enough that they want to. God, I can't even read. Learn enough that they want to, receive enough that they're able to. The purpose of this whole series, and actually the purpose of church, is so that you'll receive enough from God, from his word, that you'll want to change, that you'll be able to change. I mean, don't, stop making all the mistakes yourself. Spread them around. (laughs) It's really dumb to try to make them all yourself, right? Learn from other people's mistakes. So for six weeks, we've been talking about these destructive forces, and, and we said they're, they're like trash, they're like garbage. So we said that, that people um, have anger in their life, they have guilt in their life, and they have jealousy, and they have greed in their lives, and, and we carry this stuff around. And so what we said was um, these monsters get bigger when you try to act like they're not there, when you think they're in the dark, people know but when you ignore your issues in your heart, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. But when you bring them into the light, they shrink. And here's what we said. These four monsters, almost every conflict and almost every relational wound can be traced back to one of these four monsters. I said this to my son. We were talking about this uh, this weekend. And he goes, wow. And, and so I want to challenge you. I want you to start looking at the hurt in your life or in somebody else's life and see if you can trace it back to one of these four monsters, hurt, anger, greed, or jealousy. See, <clears throat> Each one of these creates what we call a debt-to-debtor relationship, all right? So the first one, anger says, you owe me, you did something, you owe me, and I'm going to make you pay, and I'll probably make you pay with interest what you did to me, and then I might think about forgiving you. Guilt says, I owe you, I've, I've messed you around, I owe you an apology, I said this to my son, and I don't know how many times I've said it to him, we're sitting in his apartment, Janie and, and his um, girlfriend, <laughs> Hannah are gone and, and they're, they're shopping. And I said, dude, I was talking about this series. And I said, I owe you an apology because I damaged your heart. And I carry this guilt. And we were talking about all these things. Jealousy says, God owes me. And people sometimes have a difficulty understanding this. God could have given me that family. God could have kept me from having a wreck. God could have done something, but he didn't do it. God, you owe me what you gave them. And then greed, this one is really tough. Greed is I owe me. I work just as hard as they do. I deserve what they've got. I said that to Caleb and he goes, oh my goodness, that's me. I said, dude, that's that's all of us. 
We all get, if we're not careful, we'll let this get stuck in our hearts and that's how we will relate to people. <clears throat> and so here's, here's the deal. There's, when, when you have these in your heart, it creates an imbalance in a relationship and anytime there's an imbalance in a relationship, it creates a defun- dysfunctional relationship and that's a recipe for disaster. If I have something in my heart against you, there is some type of debt, debt, or you owe me, I owe you something. And it creates a dysfunctional relationship and it's going to be disastrous. So what do we do? Well, either someone has to pay the debt or someone has to cancel the debt and forgive. Because if you don't, whatever's lodged in your heart will be a filter through which you see everything in life. I didn't know that I was angry at my mama and so I looked at every woman through the anger of my mother that I had towards my mom. And, and I'm just telling you, I was ruthless. If a girl did anything that reminded me of my mom because I was mad at mom, you gotta go. Why? Well, I don't like you anymore. Why? I wasn't gonna tell her. In fact, I didn't even know. You remind me of my mother? I am not gonna be around my mother for the rest of my life. And so I married Janie who's the opposite of my mom. See, it's a filter. If you don't deal with it, it infects your heart and it causes you to see others through anger or guilt or, or jealousy or greed. So God's told us how to, how to deal with it. And, and here's the funny thing. With your physical trash, what do you do? Come on. Do you hang on to it? So, so the half-eaten food that you throw away, the, uh, the, the wet wipes that you use to clean a baby's diaper, that's on my mind because I was with my grandson. The, the diapers, let's say the used diapers. Um, let's say, oh, let's say all the stuff that you sweep up the floor, you know, and you pour it in your trash and like hair. Okay, so I've lived with three women for the last several years. Obviously, if there's hair on the floor, it ain't mine. <laughs> and so every time, and I, I, you know, I'm sweeping and I'll put it in the dustpan and I'll go, women. And I'll put that, because I'll find, I'm not talking little hairballs. This is, a, this is like an animal. You clean out the drain in, in the girl's shower and it's like, it's like a beast. And I'm not kidding, one time, this was just a few weeks ago, I put on a shirt and something's in there and I pull out this fur ball. <laughs> At least it was clean because it had just come out of the laundry, but I'm going, women. No, I'm not, I'm not. But here's my point. Okay, so, so you have all of this trash. What do you do with your trash? Do you carry it with you? I'm taking it to the ball game because I got a ticket for it. What's that? It's my trash. Or you go on a date. What's that? It's my trash. Or, or you go to church. What are you doing? I'm taking my trash to church. Or you take it to your wedding. You stand up here and you're dragging it down the aisle. And your spouse stops in the middle and goes, what's that smell? Don't worry about it, it's my trash. You'll get used to it. No, take your trash out. If that's foolish, why do we carry this around in our emotional and spiritual lives? Well, you just have to deal with it because this is who I am. When scripture says this isn't who you have to be, you don't have to be that person. So just like you get rid of your trash, you get rid of the stuff that's in your heart and God tells us how. And see, because God loves your heart, he's more interested in your heart than anything else. He says, if you'll follow my word, I'll show you how to get rid of this trash. 
And, and he says, you change your heart, you clean out the trash of your heart by forming new habits. And, and so you've spent years behaving yourself into these bad habits. It's going to take some time to behave yourself out of it. And here's what I want, this is on your listening guide. It takes a habit to break a habit. You need new habits. You need this substitute habit. You formed a habit, you need a new habit. You have to choose. The longer you've been living with guilt and anger and comparing yourself to others, and the harder it's going to be to form a new habit. But in the end, it'll be worth it because your heart will be free. See, I've never, never met a person who was physically fit who regretted the exercise necessary to get physically fit. But I know lots of people who regret not being physically active. In the same way, I know lots of people, I never, I never met anybody who regretted confessing their guilt to someone else. See, we confess to God that we messed somebody else up and God's like, yeah, I was here last time you confessed that, go to them. I've never met somebody who went to them and confessed their guilt because guilt is a weight that we carry. And nobody ever says, man, I sure wish I hadn't confessed my guilt and been forgiven by them. I wish I could carry that, that trash with me the rest of my life. Nobody says that. Because confessing to the person that you've wronged allows you to take the weight of guilt off. I've never met someone who forgives another person that regrets forgiving. <laughs> See, anger and bitterness is like a poison you drink hoping the other person will die. I'll show you. <laughs> When you forgive that person, it allows you to drain the poison out of your life. I've never met a person who regretted celebrating the success of others. This is how you get rid of greed. You celebrate what they've done. Janie's good at this. People call her because she just gets happy. She celebrates with other people and people call her and they, they love to celebrate. It's how you get rid of jealousy. And I've never met a person who who regretted being generous. Let me tell you something. I've never once worried about the money that I've given away. The money I worry about is what I still have or wish I had. Not once have I regretted giving money to someone in need or giving money to the kingdom of God. And, and I said this years ago, and I actually heard Miss Eula's here, right? Yeah, I heard. So I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to respond to Miss Eula. In America, in Palestine, and, and then let's get real, in, in New Life Community Church, most of you do not wake up every day and go, I need to find truth today. What most of you are on is a quest for happiness. Now, I said that years ago, and Miss Eula wrote on the back of her card, I look for truth every day. All right, thank you, ma'am. Um, I'm acknowledging that before you write it on your card. That was years ago, but I remember. Most of us, most of us do not seek for truth every day. We seek for happiness. Well, let me tell you this. This is what I've discovered. Happiness is a habit. And here's an assignment. I want you to pay attention to the happiest people you know, and I'm willing to bet that these are the people who do these four things to drain the trash out of their life. See, happiness can't possibly be tied to circumstances because you know genuinely happy people who live in terrible circumstances. And you know unhappy people with more stuff than they could ever play with, do with, and they're unhappy. And so here's the deal. Happiness does not equal wealth. Because you know, you know wealthy people that are unhappy. Happiness does not equal beauty. You know beautiful people that are some of the most unhappy people on the planet. Happiness does not equal marriage. <laughs> All right. He got it out before I could say, don't say it. 
Casey, I need to start putting your phone number up here, you and Sherry, for, for marriage counseling. Um, actually, I've texted it to Travis before, um, but, he, but he kicks, I think he blocked my number. Um, happiness, okay, so, so if happiness doesn't equal marriage, happiness doesn't equal being single either. <laughs> From the single people. It's better to be single and lonely than married and lonely. The most miserable people I know are married and lonely because their spouse has distanced themselves from them or they have junk in their heart and, and they don't know how to be intimate. I, I'd, you would much rather be single and lonely. Um, happiness doesn't equal any status, any of those categories that, that you can think of. No status. That's the next one. So, if you want to know what happiness is, it's the overflow of a healthy heart. You know what that also means? If you're unhappy today, it's the overflow of your unhealthy heart. You got some stuff in there that you've not dealt with, and that's what's making you unhappy. You need to have some habits. So here's some habits that will change your heart, which will change your life. Confess to the offended person, not to God. Forgive. Forgiveness means cancel the debt. So when somebody, when, when Satan brings that back up and says, oh, remember what they did to you? No, they don't owe me anymore. I canceled that debt. They don't owe me jack. Give. Take some of the Benjamins you have. That's $100 if you don't know what that is. Take some of the Benjamins you have and give to another kingdom. Take them out of your kingdom, give to another kingdom. And that's how you get rid of greed. And then celebrate the success of others. Now, now don't, don't be insincere. Hey, I like your shirt. Not. Uh, that's not so old, but. Be genuine. If you, if you like their shirt, tell them. Don't think, I can't believe they bought that. If you like their car, tell them. If you love their children, say, man, your kids are awesome. And then don't go, can we swap? <laughs> right? Don't dishonor your own children. But celebrate and, and watch these things begin to drain out of your heart. See, once these, once these habits define your life, everybody will know you're different. You'll look like God. You'll have a heart like his. And that's the goal of following Jesus is to look more and more like him. So I'm going to finish this series with, with two verses, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper today. Uh, this was on the video, uh, just a reminder. Love is patient. Love is kind. When you think of people whose hearts are filled with anger and guilt, are they kind? Are they patient? No. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Jealous people are full of envy. It's the same thing. And, and greedy people brag a lot about what they have or what they're fitting to have, right? This is what I got. This is what... Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. If you want to love like God, you can't have this stuff in your heart. So you need to confess. You need to forgive. You need to give. And you need to celebrate. And then this passage, the last one we'll look at in this series, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you... What's that next word? Must. You must love. As Christ loved you, you must love one another. Jesus is saying it's not an option. But if you've ever tried to love someone with one of these things in your heart 
or you tried to love someone that has one or more of these things lodged in their, their heart, you know it's almost impossible to connect with them because of the disease that's in their heart, because, because it's going to raise its head, it's going to attack you. Whether you're the source of, of the irritation or not, you, you're the closest, and it will attack. So what that means is if you haven't dealt with gr- guilt, anger, jealousy, or greed, you cannot obey this command of Jesus that you must love one another as Christ loved you. So what do you do? You confess. You forgive. You give. You celebrate. And for six weeks, some of you have been saying, I can't do that. I beg to differ. You won't do that. Because your heart is messed up and you'd rather carry your trash around than have a heart like your heavenly father. We're going to finish today with the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is all about your heart. And, and I just got to tell you a couple of things before we take it. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you're, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a member of our church. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. It just says if you're a follower of Christ, you can come to the, to the table. But, but I have to, have to explain to you. Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, before he was crucified on the cross, um, in the middle of the Passover meal, he takes a cup and, and he changes the meaning of this part of the Passover. And, and basically, it's, it, he's saying, this cup is my blood. It, it's, it's not really blood. It's symbolic, which was spilled for you. In, in the scripture, in the Old Testament, you had to, in order to be forgiven of sins, you had to sacrifice an animal and you had to sprinkle some blood. And, and it was blood that covered your sins. In the New Testament, it became Jesus, who was the only human sacrifice acceptable to God because he was a perfect person. And so scripture says he, Jesus, who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How do you become the righteousness of God? You ask Jesus to forgive your sins. So he says, this cup represents my blood, which is going to be spilled for you. And so when you take that cup and you drink it, it is, it is just like a proposal of marriage. When I proposed to Janie, she said, I accept your life and I give you my life in return. I lost my wedding ring. She found it this morning. She came up right before band and handed it to me. I said, I do, I do. I I accept your life and I give you mine. Thank you for rescuing me once again. But it's a, it's a, I take your life, Jesus, the sacrifice you made. I ask you to cleanse me. And so when you drink the cup, you're saying, I accept your life, Jesus, and I give you mine in return. Then he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is about to be broken for your sin. Without the shedding of blood, without Jesus Christ dying on the cross, there is no forgiveness of sins. The reason we don't do uh, sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament is because Jesus died once for all to rescue us from our sins. But not everybody, everybody's a creation of God, but not everybody's a child of God because that's a choice. So today, if you're not a believer in Christ, the Lord's Supper is not for you. I mean, you can come and take it. It's just bread and juice. But there's going to be some people who sit there today, some Christ followers who don't take the Lord's Supper. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, never take the Lord's Supper in vain. How you do that is if you know when you're sitting there, you're supposed to examine your own heart. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to remember Jesus Christ died. We remember why he died. But we also sit there and we examine our hearts. And, it, and the Bible says if, if somebody has something against you, you're not supposed to come to the Lord's Supper table if you've, if you've not tried to make it right. You're supposed to go reconcile with them and then you're supposed to come back. And let's say you've got to do that today and you want to take the Lord's Supper tomorrow or Wednesday night at men's, you just let me know. We'll do a special Lord's Supper after you've taken care of your business. 
But some of you do not need to come to the table today because you know you've never tried to reconcile that relationship and you cannot. Jesus said you must love as he loved you. You can't come to the table if you have relationship issues that you've not tried to resolve. If you've tried to resolve them, don't, don't feel guilty. Come to the table. But if your heart is pierced and you've not tried Don't come because Paul says some of you are sick and some of you have died for coming to the Lord's supper table in an unworthy manner. So when you come today, I'm going to give you, we're going to play a video and basically this video just says all are invited. You're invited to come to the table today. If you're watching online, we want you to come to the campus because like I talked about in small groups, you can worship in a crowd, you can worship in rows, but you can only fellowship in circles. You think about sitting at a table when you connect with somebody. Why don't you connect with somebody across the restaurant? Because you're not at the table. If you want to connect with people, you've got to commit to fellowship. So we're inviting you to come to the campus. And I, when I'm gone, I watch online. That's how I caught Casey. I was watching online. He didn't know I was watching. <laughs> so when we finish the video, you're welcome to come to the table. You may need to just sit there. They're going to play lots of songs. You may need to examine your heart. So, so confess your sin. If you're in right relationship with other people, and it doesn't mean anybody going back 72 years, you know, if you, <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't confess to my mom. I can't, no, my mom's gone. She's in heaven. I confess to God. If I have a chance, I'm, I reconcile. And then I come to the table and I say, here I am again, God. I'd do it all again. I would accept your life again, and I would give you my life again. That's what the Lord's Supper table is, because Jesus said, every time you take the Lord's Supper, you proclaim his death, his resurrection, until he comes again. He's coming back. So when you take that, not only you're saying you're God's child, you're also saying, I'm watching for him to come back to get his bride, the church. So watch this video. When we're done, you know about the baskets, the registration card, the joy basket, the bagel. You know, you can take care of all that stuff out there. When you've taken the Lord's Supper... Please leave quietly, and we'll be, there'll be some folks in here for a while doing business with God. You're welcome to talk out there. Let's not talk in here unless you're talking to God or praying with somebody about their relationship with God. Go ahead.